Please take your Bibles and turn to the Old Testament, to the book of Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 37. Isaiah, uh, Jeremiah, Lamentations, and then Ezekiel is right after Lamentations. Uh, We read uh, one of the most wonderful accounts, a graphic account uh, found in the Old Testament as we uh, continue our series on favorite Bible stories. Uh, We have a, a few more in the Old Testament, and then we have some in the New Testament, and This morning we are in Ezekiel chapter 37. We'll read uh, in just a moment verses 1 through 14. Uh, These are not my words. These are not Ezekiel's words. These are not words of human literature. This is the very word of God. The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones. And he led me around among them, and behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley, and behold, they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, you know. Then he said to me, Prophesy over these bones, and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live, and I will lay sinews upon you, and will cause flesh to come upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and you shall live, and you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I prophesied, there was a sound, and behold, a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked, and behold, there were sinews on them, and flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them. But there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. Then he said to me, son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried up and our hope is lost. We are indeed cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people, and I will bring you into the land of Israel. And you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people, and I will put my spirit within you, and you shall live, and I will place you in your own land Then you shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken, and I will do it, declares the Lord. There are certain times in our lives when we feel hopeless. Uh, There are certain times in our lives when it feels like... um, Uh, The struggles of life will never end. They'll never go away. Uh, Maybe it has to do with a a relationship with a a family member or a friend. Maybe it's a a work circumstance. Uh, Maybe it's your finances. Uh, But whatever it is, it's, it's just this situation that seems so very hopeless to you. Ezekiel was writing to a people who were feeling exactly like that. It was a very dark, um, very difficult time for God's people. And and this is a passage that was designed to give them hope, to give them encouragement. And and I pray this morning for all of us that 
God would use this passage to bring hope to our lives. That that God would use this passage to remind us of his power and his love for us. uh, To remind us that he is a life-giving God. In the midst of death, in the midst of hopelessness, in the midst of sadness and sorrow, God is a life-giving God. And as Glenn played during the offering, God is always faithful to every one of his promises and to every one of his people. He will never fail you. There are three things that we want to look at this morning as we work our way through this passage. First of all is man's hopeless condition. Second is God's unexpected method. And third is God's supernatural work. Man's hopeless condition, God's unexpected method, and God's supernatural work. Ezekiel is probably one of the books of the Bible that we don't know all that well. Uh, It's it's filled with um, a lot of weird imagery. It's uh, a very, very long book. And, And it's just, let's be honest, it's one of those books that's kind of difficult to follow. If you're in your Bible reading program and you're reading through Ezekiel, it's easy to get bogged down. But the one passage that that most Christians know is this one, the Valley of Dry Bones. Now, now first of all, what is the book of Ezekiel all about? Uh, Ezekiel was a prophet to the the southern kingdom of Judah. His his ministry lasted for about 22 years, uh, and he, he ministered during the late 6th century B.C., If you know anything about Judah's history, you know that the 6th century B.C. was not a very good period of time for God's people. Uh, A little over 100 years before this, the the, the northern kingdom, the northern kingdom of Israel, had been decimated and destroyed by the Assyrians. And, And now, because of their continued rebellion against God, their continued sin, their continued idolatry, and their refusal to repent, the southern kingdom had been taken captive by the Babylonians. Well, Ezekiel was called during this time, during the the Babylonian captivity, to preach to God's people. And and one aspect of his ministry was to declare God's holiness against the backdrop of Israel's sinfulness, to to remind Israel that there are consequences to our sin, in in this case, um, the decimation by Babylon. And again, this was a very, very dark period for God's people. There there didn't seem to be a whole lot of hope for them. But but while Ezekiel was preaching God's holiness, while he was preaching God's justice, while he was preaching that there are consequences to our sin, he was also preaching forgiveness. He was also preaching grace. He was preaching hope to all who call out to God in repentance and faith. And and this is a wonderful point that the Bible makes over and over again, that while our sins are great, God's grace is greater. Throughout Scripture, God tells us that, that his grace is super abundant. His mercy is wonderful and and never-ending. And that's the message that Ezekiel was bringing to God's people. Now, now that's the big picture context, but there's also an immediate context to this passage. If you have your Bible open, look back at chapter 36 for just a moment, the the chapter right before this one, and, and notice verse 26. Notice this wonderful promise. God says, 
Ezekiel 36, verse 26, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. God says to to Judah, there is the hope of a better day. A better day is coming. A day when I'm going to give you new hearts, a day when I'm going to give you my spirit, that day is coming. And so naturally, the the question among God's people would be, how can this be? How can I have a new heart? How will God, by his spirit, live inside me? And our passage answers that question. Chapter 37 begins with Ezekiel telling about his vision. In his vision, the the Lord places him in the middle of a valley that is is filled with dry bones. It's not just a a few skeletal remains. It's not just a couple of skulls. It's not just a a couple dead bodies that had decayed over the, the last number of years. This whole place is filled with bones. And, and the scene is, is meant to be rather shocking. It's meant to grab your attention. You, you'll notice in verse 2 that, that twice, and, and Ezekiel uses this word later on in the passage, but twice in verse 2 he uses the word behold. We, we don't talk like that today probably. You don't say to your wife or your children, behold. But that was very common in, in the ancient times. Behold, Ezekiel says there were many dry bones. Behold, these bones were very dry. The word behold is is meant to cause you to take notice of something, to pay attention to something, to be astonished at something. And this would be an astonishing scene. You you walk out into this large valley, and, and all you see for miles are these dry bones. And God asks Ezekiel a question. Ezekiel, can these bones live? How would you answer that question if you were Ezekiel? You look out across this valley, all you see are bones, all you see are skulls, this image of mass death. Can these bones live? We all know the answer to the question. Humanly speaking, no way. There's no way these bones can live. Now, obviously, there's a deeper meaning here. This isn't just a vision about literal bones in a literal valley. What's pictured for us, again, is Israel's hopeless condition. They're they're captives in Babylon. They've been removed from their homes. It, It looks awful. It looks like there's no hope. You know, for years, God had sent prophets to them to call them to repentance Repent from your idolatry. Repent from your sinfulness. Turn back to Yahweh. Find grace and mercy from him. But they refused to do that. They persisted in their sin. They they persisted in their rebellion. And so God judged them through Babylon. Children, at this time, Babylon is the most powerful nation on this earth. And during this time, Babylon came into Jerusalem. They, They destroyed the walls of the city. They destroyed the temple. They hauled the Jews off into captivity in Babylon. It was a horrible time. Psalm 137 describes something of that time where it says, By the waters of Babylon, there we sat down and wept when we remembered Zion. When we thought about our home, when we thought about the land that God had given to us, and as we sit here in Babylon, we cry. 
It was a dark time. It was a very sad time. It was a time of weeping. It was a time of hopelessness. And interestingly, all these bones and and the location of these bones hint at the fact that, that an army has been defeated. Children, in that day, battles were typically fought in valleys. You might remember from last Sunday, we looked at David and Goliath, and that battle was fought in a valley. And so by this valley being filled with all these dry bones, the imagery here is that Israel has been decimated by the Babylonians, utterly wiped out. And God says, Ezekiel, what do you think? Is there any hope for Israel at this point? Now, there's an even deeper meaning to all of this than just Israel's plight in Babylon. Children, this this is a picture of man's fallen condition. This is a picture of man's spiritual hopelessness. We, we don't always like to hear good or bad news, but the fact of the matter is if we are to truly understand and be blessed by the good news, we have to understand first the bad news of Scripture. And the bad news of Scripture is that this is who we are by nature. The, the Bible describes this elsewhere. In Ephesians 2, Paul says that, that fallen man is spiritually dead, not spiritually sick, not spiritually incapacitated, not spiritually comatose, spiritually dead. In Romans chapter 3, Paul says that there is no one who seeks after God. And that makes sense, doesn't it? Spiritually dead people can't seek after God. Romans 8, Paul says that fallen man is unable to respond to God. Unable to follow God, unable to obey God. And that also makes sense. Dead men don't follow anything. Dead means dead. Dead people don't respond. By nature, we are these dry bones. By nature, this is who I once was. Dead, lifeless, hopeless. And so the question that that God asked to Ezekiel essentially becomes the question, is there any hope for fallen man? Is there any hope in the midst of spiritual death? Think this morning of, of those you know who don't know Christ. Think of those this morning that you know who who reject him, who want nothing to do with him. It's easy to become discouraged when you see people reject the gospel and reject the Lord Jesus. You you look at someone like that and and maybe to you it seems hopeless. And you say, "Is is there any hope for my lost child? Is there any hope for my lost spouse? Is there any hope for my lost friend? Ezekiel, can these bones live? Ezekiel answers at the end of verse 3, Oh, Lord God, you know. In other words, Lord, you're sovereign. And only you, Lord, know the answer to this question. And now we see God's unexpected method. Notice what God says to Ezekiel in verse 4. He says, prophesy over these bones and say to them, Oh, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Notice that word prophesy. We, we hear that word and we think of someone who's predicting the future, right? We think of people who say, you know, on, on such and such a date, this is going to happen. 
Now, now there are occasions in the Bible where there are prophecies. Um, Micah tells us where Jesus will be born 700 years before Jesus is born. Isaiah tells us what Jesus will endure in his earthly ministry 700 years before Jesus came. But, but at its core, that, that word prophesy carries with it the idea of being God's spokesperson, speaking on behalf of God, basically preaching. And so God says, Ezekiel, here's what I want you to do. I, I want you to, to go out into that valley and I want you to preach a sermon. I, I want you to tell these dry bones to listen to your sermon. Now you go, that's nuts. That's crazy. Ezekiel, you can, you can preach all day long to those bones and they're not going to respond. You can say whatever you want, however you want to say it, for as long as you want to say it, those bones aren't going to do anything. You can preach, Ezekiel, the best sermon you've ever preached. And the result is going to be the same. It's not going to matter. They're dead, dry, lifeless bones. And yet God is saying to Ezekiel, Ezekiel, this is the method that I will use to give life to these dead bones. And Ezekiel, when you prophesy, when you preach, watch what I'm going to do. I'm going to put flesh and muscles on them. I'm going to cover them with skin. I'm going to put breath in them, and they will come to life. And so, children, you, you put all of this together. First of all, the bones are a picture of man's fallen, hopeless condition. A picture that fallen man, by nature, is spiritually dead, hopeless, lost. Second, Ezekiel's preaching is a picture of the preaching of God's word. And and third, God putting flesh and muscles and skin on these dead bones and, and, and breath into these dead bones. This is a picture of God giving life to someone who is spiritually dead. What God is telling us here is that he works spiritual life into the hearts of dead sinners through the means of preaching. Now surely, if you're Ezekiel, you go, I don't know about this. Is this this really going to work? Preaching to to dead bones is going to bring them back to life? If you leave church today and you drive over to Ripon Cemetery start telling dead people to come out of their graves, I can tell you right now it's not going to work. And when it comes to bringing dead sinners to life, when it comes to bringing spiritual life to those who are spiritually dead, we, we may think to ourselves this morning, you know, there's got to be a better method than this. There's got to be a better method than a guy preaching. There's got to be something different. There's got to be something more effective. There's got to be something more cutting edge in our day than preaching. And and this is why, sadly, churches today, many of them, have abandoned the systematic, verse-by-verse preaching of God's word for something else. I think I've told you this story before, but when we were... um, when we were planting a church up in Washington State, before we launched our services, we were, we were looking for a building to rent. We, we didn't have our own facility. We were a brand new church plant. And so we, uh, we went around to places in the area, some churches in the area, and, 
and we asked them if we could rent their building. And, and we went to one particular church, and, and we asked them, would you be willing to, to rent your building to us on Sundays? I think their, their morning service was at 9 a.m., and, and so we said, you know, hey, would you be open to, to renting to us maybe 10.30 or 11 o'clock on Sundays? And so they, they said, well, we'll talk to our board or whoever had to make the decision, and, and they came back to us, and they said, yeah, we will. But there's one condition. Uh, once a month... We, we want the two churches to come together, and we want the two churches to have a joint worship service. So I asked the pastor of that church, um, okay, so who's going to preach that joint service? And he said to me, um, well, we don't really have preaching in our worship services anymore. And I said, what do you mean you don't have preaching? And he said to me, um, you know, we have small group Bible studies throughout the week, and, and that's really where we do our in-depth study of the Bible. On, on Sunday mornings, we, we just come together and we sing, and then after we sing, we, we sit around these round tables and we just um, we kind of throw it open for discussion. We just talk about what God has been teaching us individually. We didn't rent the building. But you know what? That's the thinking that many people have today. Preaching is old-fashioned. It's, it's out of date. Now, there's nothing new. Um, Paul dealt with this in the book of 1 Corinthians. He, he talked about the fact that, that people in his day had kind of a similar view of preaching. He, he says in, in 1 Corinthians 1 that there were those who viewed preaching to be foolishness. Interestingly, that, that word that's translated foolishness is the Greek word moriah, from which we get our English word moron. Preaching is moronic, stupid, a waste of time to many people. And, and Paul said to the Corinthians, he said, for the preaching of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But then he adds, it pleases God by the foolishness of preaching to save those who believe. Remember what Paul says in Romans 10? He says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's what we long to see, isn't it? We long to see people become saved. We, we long to see people believe in Jesus. We long to see sinners come to know Christ. Well, what means, God, do you use to bring about this result? Well, Paul goes on and he says, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. In Paul's day, there were those who believed that preaching was foolishness, that it was a waste of time. But Paul says, no, it's through this supposedly foolish means that God brings people to saving faith, and it's through this foolish means that he builds us up in our faith. There were some during the time of the Reformation, the 16th century, who, who thought the same thing. They, they thought that what we needed were visual aids, that um, 
We, we can't just learn God's word and be benefited from God's word just by preaching. And so they said, we need things that we can see. And the Heidelberg Catechism addresses this in, in Lord's Day 35. It says, we shouldn't try to be wiser than God. He wants the Christian community instructed by the living preaching of his word, not by idols, not by images, not by visual means that cannot even talk. I love that phrase. We shouldn't try to be wiser than God. We shouldn't think we know better than God. We think that we, we, think, we shouldn't think that, that we think there's something, we know there's something more effective than preaching. God says that he will use the preaching of his word to bring life. We need to believe him when he says that. The, the world may say, and, and even some of the church may say, that, that preaching is passe, that it's, it's old-fashioned, out-of-date in our day of social media and, and TED Talks and TikTok. There's got to be something better. But brothers and sisters, this is what God has ordained for the spiritual benefit of his people. Peter says in 1 Peter 1, you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God, through the proclamation, through the preaching of God's word. Over the years, I am greatly appreciative that you understand the importance of preaching. I'm greatly appreciative that, that you have said to me, preach the word to us. Preach Christ to us. Because you know that that's what God uses to build you up in the faith. Now, it's not the eloquence of the preacher. It's not his masterful exposition of Scripture. Don't ever forget that it's God who works through preaching. And that's the third thing we want to see. God's supernatural work. Ezekiel does what God commands him to do. Every, every preacher should pay attention to that statement. The call of the preacher is simply to preach God's word, to do what God has said to do. He goes out into this valley. He starts preaching. And notice verse 7. Suddenly there's this, this rattling noise. Behold. There's another behold. Rattling noise all across the valley. Children, imagine what that noise must have been like. Got this big valley filled with dry bones, and all of a sudden, they come together. And so all the bones and, and all the skulls come together. They form these complete skeletons. Muscles and flesh form over the bones. Skin forms to, to cover their bodies. But notice the end of verse 8. They still have no breath in them. They're just, they're just life, lifeless corpses. What is needed? Well, what is needed is breath. You might already know this, but, but the Hebrew word for breath is the same as the Hebrew word for spirit. In fact, if you look back at verse 1, you, you see the word spirit there, referring to the Holy Spirit. It's the same Hebrew word that's translated breath here in verse 8. The, the point is simply this. What is needed to bring spiritually dead people to life is the powerful movement of the Spirit of God. That is what is needed. It's not the preacher who gives you life. It's not me who gives you life. It's not your favorite internet preacher who gives you life. It's God, the Holy Spirit. 
It's the Spirit of God working through the preaching of the Word of God that produces life. This is a great passage for preachers. It's a great passage for preachers to remember it's not about me. It's not about my eloquence. It's not about my giftedness. I'm simply called to be faithful in preaching the truth and trust that the Holy Spirit will work as he wants to work. Ezekiel's call was not to give life to these bones. His call was to preach. And that's what he did. But this isn't just a passage for preachers. It's a passage for all of us. And I want to ask you this morning to take two things home with you today. Number one, this vision of the valley of dry bones coming to life should move you to praise. It should move you to praise. This is you and me in this valley by nature. And if you are a Christian, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, and I look out at a congregation of people I know confess the name of Christ. This is you coming to life. And it's not because you were better or smarter than those who don't believe. By nature, you and I were just as dead as those who are lost today. It's because God gave you life by his spirit, through his word. That's why you're alive today. Over the years, I've, I've said to you that the doctrine should always lead to doxology. In other words, understanding what the Bible teaches, understanding good theology is not the end. It should move us to praise. Our passage this morning talks about the the wonderful doctrine of regeneration. Regeneration is a, a beautiful doctrine. It's about God giving us dead sinners life. And and when we when we wrap our minds around this, when we, we wrap our minds around the fact that that God brought us from death. To life. Life we don't deserve, life we haven't earned. Our hearts should soar in praise to Him. This is what He's done for you. And so, the first thing, take home with you this morning this vision moves us to praise. Number two, this vision of the valley of dry bones coming to life should move you to prayer. Prayer. Prayer on, prayer on several fronts. First of all, that prayer that, that God would bless the preaching of his word every week. The preaching would be accompanied by the powerful work of the Holy Spirit that, that we might be transformed more into the image of Christ. You see, without the Spirit's work, preaching is... It's nothing more than an intellectual exercise. And so a good practice is to pray. Pray maybe Saturday night, 
maybe Sunday morning, that, that God would make the preaching of his word effectual in our lives. Many of you tell me, I, I prayed for you this morning, I prayed for you last night, thank you. I need that. Pray that God, by his spirit, through his word, would use the preaching of his word to, to shape us and to mold us and to bring dead sinners to life. Number two, pray that God would raise up more Ezekiels. Pray that God would raise up more men to go into all the world and preach Christ. Preaching is the means that God has ordained for the salvation and the sanctification of his people. Pray that God would raise up more men, maybe even men within this own congregation, young boys within this own congregation, who one day will be Ezekiel's, who will preach the good news of Jesus Christ. And number three, pray for the lost. We all know people who don't know Jesus. And it's not just that they need more information. It's not that they just need, you know, a, a helpful nudge in the right direction. They need the Spirit of God to breathe life into them. So pray for them. If you come to the prayer meeting tomorrow night or whatever Monday night you may come, pray for that. Pray for the lost. Pray that the Spirit of God would work on their hearts, that they would be given spiritual life and they would come to true faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so what a wonderful vision we have here of, of God's life-giving power. What a wonderful reminder of what he's done for us. And, and Christian, he's not going to give up on you. He's not going to let you go. You notice at the end of this passage, he, he talks about bringing his people home. One day he's going to bring you home. One day he's going to take you to himself, where you will be in his presence forever. And you will enjoy eternal life forever and ever with him. And so may this passage move us to praise and to be thankful for all that he's done for us, all that he will do for us, and that he will one day take us home. Let's bow in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this passage that is such a wonderful reminder to us of the, the power, life-giving power that you breathe into those who were dead. We praise you for your work in our lives. We thank you that you are continuing to, to bring spiritually dead sinners to life. We pray this morning that you would raise up more Ezekiels, more men to preach this good news. And we pray this morning for those who don't know you, that by your spirit, through your gospel, you would bring them to embrace Christ. 
We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name.